I've told this story a thousand times over the past few years, most recently on my podcast, Haunting Season, but a few years back on a bachelor party weekend trip, my best friend and groom-to-be fell off a cliff in front of my eyes 10 days before the wedding, and it was the greatest day of my life. Okay, so we went to this spot where you could jump off a boulder into the water. It wasn't a big jump, it was as safe as it could be for this kind of activity, but Then these teens showed up and climbed up this jagged, roughly 60-foot wall of dirt and tree roots to a ledge where they were bullying each other into jumping into the shallow pool of water below. My buddy climbed up there to talk them down, and as he was talking to them, the ground gave out and he fell onto the rocks below. I turned just in time to see his body disappear behind the boulder with a loud slap of body hitting rock. And a moment later, he called out, I'm alive. This was the greatest day of my life because no other time in my life have I ever gotten such a series of good news all in one day. First, he was alive. Great. Next, he hadn't hit his head. Awesome. In fact, he had done everything exactly right during the fall, even absorbed the impact by going limp just before his body hit the ground. The paramedics came and shipped him to the hospital. His feet were shattered. They took the full impact. But when they cleaned him up, he said, what's the damage? And the nurse was confused. He said, I slid down the face of a cliff and dead fell 30 feet onto jagged rocks in nothing but a bathing suit. I just want to know how bad the damage is on my body. And the nurse told him that aside from what looked like a tiny paper cut underneath his pinky toe, he was completely unscathed. Not even a bruise on the outside. Just the, you know, completely shattered feet on the inside. Now, while there was a lot of good news on that day... Actually, seeing my friend fall had a very traumatic effect on my life afterwards. In fact, I'm still feeling the anxiety associated with that event, even as I'm retelling it today, many years later. And and that's what we're talking about today on the show, the immediate and long-lasting effects of trauma. Let's have a moment. Trauma is like fat. Our body stores it in weird places, and it's really hard to get rid of. In fact, some of it, quite simply, will never go away. And that's okay. We learn to live with it. We need a little padding around the edges sometimes, and for me, that's kind of how my trauma of the groom's fall turned out. In the beginning, it was a lot of anxiety and a lot of reliving the moment. I went on a hike six months later and ended up lying down on the trail because in my mind's eye, I just kept seeing him fall over and over, faster and faster, like a broken film reel, as it became harder and harder for me to breathe. I was debilitated by the memory of the fall in that moment, and it took a lot of focus to get myself back on my feet and on my way home. But as time passed, the trauma thinned out. I was able to stop thinking about it every single day, and it turned from an event in my life to a story of something that happened. But that story lives on, and it protects me around the edges of my life. I mentioned in last week's episode that I'm a camera person, and whenever I get an idea to take a risk to get the perfect shot, that little fatty piece of trauma reminds me to think it through extra hard to make good decisions, safe decisions. It protects me. And for that reason, I've learned to love my trauma. It's part of me, even though I still wish it never happened. My trauma was mental. For my friend, it was also physical. But there are many, many forms that trauma takes, and it isn't always just linked to one particular event. No, like all things related to mental health, trauma can present itself in a ton of different ways. More ways than I'm qualified to talk about, and so I want to bring back my dear friend Debbie to dive a little deeper into the subject. 
If you were with us last week, you may already know that Debbie De La Riva is the founder of Mental Health Matters 2, a website of incredible resources for anyone struggling, affected by, or just interested in mental health issues. Debbie, welcome back to the show. Hi, it's great to be here. Yeah. So this is a tough subject. Trauma. This is um, this is a scary one because I feel like when it happens to you, you're never ready for it. And it's really mm-hmm. hard to process afterwards as well. It's also a real hot topic in, in, in our community because um, people are using the words trauma and PTSD. And, and I, I kind of cringe sometimes because uh, it's really, really important to to figure out if somebody's actually experiencing PTSD in in our community, because it has a whole lot of implications about the the proper way of going to, about getting treatment for it. So I'm I'm excited that we can provide some clarity. Yeah. So let's go straight for the clarity. Let's go to the core of this. What is trauma? How do you define it? And how is it different from PTSD? Yeah, definitely. So first thing I want to talk about is uh, what is a traumatic event, as opposed to the, you know, which is a precursor with, to a trauma. So it's an event that has either happened to you or you've actually witnessed it. It's either had perceived or real danger to yourself or another person. So kind of to, to unpack all of that, um, it doesn't even have to be a real trauma to somebody else. But if you perceive it as a trauma, that's important. So it's things like, you know, we think about the uh, combat um, soldiers, right? Because of things they witnessed. But we now know better, Josh, it's not just witnessing um, that type of battle. These are the battles that go on in our lives. Things like um, domestic violence, things like mass shootings, natural disasters, floods, earthquakes, being in an accident. Um, All of these are examples and of course, the, the other one I didn't mention is, is being a, a survivor of any type of abuse as a kid or as an adult, emotional, physical, or sexual. So again, it's a dramatic event. It's happened to you or somebody, or you witnessed it. There is perceived threat, or real threat to your heart, to harm or life-threatening situation. That's part of it. So who develops PTSD from a trauma, right? I'm happy to say that when individuals go through a trauma, it doesn't mean they're going to go into full-blown PTSD. In fact, we know that right now in the U.S., about 7% of um, people outside of the uh, um, active um, armed forces, 7% of us are experiencing PTSD as a result of being in a trauma. That number seems low to me because I, I feel like we've sort of taken that term to and and use it in a way of of um I'm still having feelings about this or I'm still thinking about it um you know and and we we've kind of taken that term PTSD maybe because we don't understand it um but it just seems like I hear it a lot more than 7%. Oh, oh definitely so in fact but I I need to also do a caveat to that number that's in any given year. So mm-hmm. it doesn't mean in, in general but here's here's what can Here's what I'd like to, to educate people about whatever what is PTSD in general. Having to have a traumatic event, and then there's four more things that inco- incorporate PTSD. Okay. One of them is one that you just talked about, an intrusive symptom. I'm still having thoughts and memories and nightmares about it, or even flashback experiences where I don't even know if I'm in the present or the past. That's one component of PTSD. And then there's this avoidance part of it, too. 
that um, your body or your mind is telling you to avoid anything that's like that traumatic experience. That means, you know, not going to a shopping mall where something is terrible happened. Or that can be something like trying to avoid the pain by drinking it away. Again, avoidance is a part of it. Third thing is going through that traumatic event has created changes in your mood uh, and your perception of, of the world. And I know that sounds really big, but it's like you became more of a serious person. You're uh, not so jovial anymore. You have this uh, this thought at all times that the other shoe's going to drop at any moment. It, it's that kind of permanent change that you know that you might be experiencing something more than sadness. Or... But here's the big, the, the clincher is this too, the, the fourth component of PTSD is people who experience life from a really hypervigilant point of view where you're you're the kind of person that walks into a restaurant and you're scanning you're scanning for the exits or um if somebody startles you you might have a really big reaction being hyper aroused too so if you put those five things together um have a traumatic event a lot of intrusive thoughts uh, avoiding things that remind you of the trauma having changes in your mood as a result of going through the trauma and then being kind of on, on edge most of the time. Hmm. That's more and, of the clinical definition of it. And the D in PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder. Is there anything like in our systems that make us more susceptible to this disorder? Oh, that's a great question, Josh. There's books written about that. There's a book that talks about the social, your socioeconomic conditions you live in when you have trauma. You know, do you have the resources to even get out of the environment that's continued to, to, you know, create the traumatic experience, meaning that if you live in poverty, um, and the constant cumulative effect of poverty has a big effect on on whether people develop PTSD later on too. Do you have a support system? Many times families are in just survival mode. So the thought of validating somebody's experience is usually seen as a luxury. It's more like, okay, that happened to you, we need to move on. Having a um, a medical condition, too, can create traumatic experiences, which I imagine the listeners are really interested in that, too. What I want to say is that um, there's actually been a study by Edmondson, a very recent study in 2020, and he talked about those people that are living with a chronic condition do have a more likely, there's a more likelihood of developing PTSD due to it, um, comparing that to like 7% of the population to anywhere from 12 to 25% people living with a medical condition might be more apt to experience a trauma that could lead to, to PTSD. And I think it's really important to know, and I want to attach that onto the reading notes too. I haven't found research about the uh, the amount and breadth of PTSD within our community. In fact, uh, I can't even name, but uh, there's a social worker in Boston that's going to begin the first study on this very recently. We'll start seeing the results in a couple of years. But basically the concept is this. Remember how I told you that um, there's a hyper-awareness associated with with having, with having the traumatic event? Mm-hmm. But the problem with us and our bleeding disorder is that we're taught to be in tune to our body and to possible bleeding. So we're kind of taught to um, to stay and be hyper-aware. and It makes it difficult because we know that um, bleeding happens all the time. So our word is trauma and um, kind of getting back to 
to that word outside of PTSD. I, I feel like a lot of what we've talked about deals with the mental side of trauma, but trauma can mm -hmm. be related to physical as well. What's the difference between mental and physical trauma? There's really not a lot of difference in terms of how you experience it. Um, because, you know, as we know, there's a fight or flight response. And whether um, it, you're being traumatized by someone sticking a needle in you or, or you're traumatized by the thought of the needle going into you, you have the same type of reaction. So there's not a, a big difference about it. The thing about a medical condition is that it's kind of an ongoing trauma that happens. It's not just, it's not like the past where you had the car accident and that was over. Part of um, uh, a lot of therapy having to do with trauma is helping people make that distinction between it, it's have something that's happened in the past and it's not necessarily ongoing. You, you had asked about developmental trauma too. It's so important for us to know about and we know a lot about it. I just I get excited. I get to spread the awareness. Back in the eighties, um, the CDC and Kaiser Permanente they got together, and they actually identified adverse childhood experiences called ACEs, and that could be anything from you know having shortages of food or electricity in your home, witnessing domestic violence, having someone incarcerated, living with someone that has a mental illness in your family. Uh, you know, you can see the gamut of, of things. And they actually quantified them. And what they came up with is that 61% of us in the U.S. have experienced at least one adverse childhood experience. But Josh, I think the more, more important thing is one in six people have experienced four or more of these ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. Wow. And then they took that knowledge and they followed these 17,000 people and now they can actually quantify hey, you're more likely to have this emotional or physical disorder based on the number and nature of these ACEs. So we, we know a lot about it, and I'll include that at the end of the, the podcast, too, so people can research it themselves. Yeah, that's fascinating. I, I didn't expect that number to be that high. So bringing us back to the bleeding disorders community, um, what are some common trauma stories that, that you see kind of sewn throughout the community? Yeah, and, and before I say that, I just, again, I want to emphasize that just because you've had a traumatic experience doesn't mean you're going to have full-blown PTSD. Right. But things like infusions, Josh, are, are people not being able to get a vein. That can be a traumatic experience. Um, receiving bad news, uh, like you have an inhibitor, that can also be experienced as, as trauma. I would like to talk, too, before I even get more into this, this, this idea of generational trauma in our community that... We're not really, I don't see a lot of evidence that we're talking about it. Um, my experience is that my son has hemophilia, but I didn't have any emotional baggage attached to it because it was the first one in our family. But mm -hmm. I think about those families who have histories of losing family members. And, and the, the word hemophilia has a whole different meaning to those. And so you kind of take the baggage of your, of your other generations when you're dealing with it in the present. You would also ask about how trauma kind of gets um, played out in our community, too. And that is just a sense that the, the, the shoe is going to fall at any time. You know, we did, had, we did have contaminants in our blood. What are the risks that, that, that I don't know about? The, the what-ifs can, can keep um, traumas alive and well. What are some ways that we can combat these uh, fears that we have, these traumas that we have from, from our history the, the first thing is to identify that as a traumatic experience. 
and not dismiss it. Um, you know, I really teach people that if it looks like a fish and it smells like a fish, that is your trauma and that is your reality. And so identify um, identify for what it is, acknowledge how it's affected your your life, really acknowledging how that trauma has affected your sense of self. That's really, really important to do to um, because it kind of quotes the way that you see things. Cognitive behavioral therapy, that's exactly what, what that is all about. You had a traumatic experience yourself. How did that translate into um, your self-image and how you think the world works? So going back and, and, and looking at those stressful thoughts and try to change them. There's a lot of other things that people can do, and there's some great research. EMDR, that's really amazing. Uh, I mean, what is that about a therapist um, moving their their finger is really what it is as you're recalling these memories. These are traumatic experiences. All therapy is really trying to do, that one in particular, is to help you to integrate the feelings that you had about the things, the images, and uh, the way it changed the way you think about yourself and the world, and put it into an integrated integrated way of viewing things. What's the uh, acronym? EMDR. When you've had a traumatic experience, what has is you might just have the memory of it, but you don't have the meaning attached to it. Or you might have mm. a, uh, some kind of uh, sensory, some, I feel hot, but you don't really understand why. EMDR actually integrates all of those different senses, your sensation that you're feeling, your thoughts about it, and the actual memory of the experience, and puts it into a whole. Because when you have a whole, you can begin to understand and move on. But without that whole, it's just the experience of anxious energy at all times just going round and round. That's how that's how that particular therapy works. So where can we find uh, resources to help us with our trauma? There's there's quite a bit of them. Um, number one, resources on how to manage it. If I did do a great job of explaining how you can manage it, understanding about yoga and relaxation to, to, to help you just lower that threshold for stress so the trauma doesn't affect you so much. That adverse childhood experience, I really would love for people to, to read up on that and Figure out what's what's creating the angst now. What is it about my experience that's creating them? The National Council of Traumatic Stress uh, Network, too, that you can find information. Um, and so, like I said, and you can even go on for funsies and do a screening, whatever you want to, for PTSD at the uh, Mental Health America website. This was awesome. We've brought up some some real feelings today and, and maybe triggered, you know, it could be triggering for some people to, to even talk about this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and I understand you've prepared a, a very specific meditation for us to, to take us out and put us on a healthy path for the rest of the day. Definitely. So I'll do my darndest. All right. So, let's do it. Yeah. So I think it's really important, especially after this topic. What I'd like to do is invite you to close your eyes just for a moment. And you can also keep your eyes open if that makes you feel more comfortable. But what we're going to do right now, just for the next few seconds, is go inward. And that is to feel our breath. And what I'd like you to do is imagine that there's a square. And each of these squares have the number four attached to them. And I'd like for you to breathe in one, two, 
three, four, and imagine that line that you just created of the box and breathe out four, three, two, one. You made another line of the box and again, do this two more times. Each time you breathe out and breathe in, you complete this imaginary box. And doing the fourth sign. It's important to breathe a box because you can create your own safety inside this box. You create your own narrative. You put the things inside of a box that make you feel safe and warm. As you let your breathing go back to normal, I'd like for you to think about what you would put into your box to make you feel cared for, to help you to feel loved and safe. And as for that as a relaxation technique that we had to do quite quickly, I want you to be aware that you can create a bubble, you can create a box, you can create an image of the last time you felt completely safe and free of harm and go back to that place at any time you want to. You create your environment, you create your safety. Your peace is yours. And as we're coming out of this very short relaxation, I invite you to first before you open your eyes, actually feel the, the ground, feel where your feet are touching the surface, carpet, wood flooring. And always understand that that's somewhere you can always ground yourself when you're feeling unsafe, feeling grounded in your own space. So whenever you would like to, I invite you to open your eyes and get a little more reoriented to your space. If you'd like to know more about grounding exercises, they're super helpful if you're experiencing trauma or really re-experiencing trauma. And it takes time. But you can get there.